This is the Oasis. The challenge is to find three keys. The first to finish gets complete control of the Oasis. What would you do if you won? Save the Oasis. Who is Parzival and how is he winning? I just figured it out. All right. What's going on? Just wrecked us in my Mario Kart. What do you think? Oh, joy. You really think I'm going to win? Are you willing to fight? Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we're coming to you for episode 100. No way! Uh, Woo! No. It, it, we're centurions. No, in oh, Octal. Right. It's episode 64. Oh, damn. Um, oh, but, uh, it's, <laughs> oh, right. If it mean, we're still centurions in Octal. <laughs> if it means anything to you, it, uh, it's 40 in hex. So, <laughs> And something like uh, one followed by six zeros in binary, but... Yeah, right. anyhow, uh, that <laughs> dorky aside aside, uh, this time we're going to be talking about a movie that's currently in theaters, which we've done a few other times. And this time it's going to be about Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the 2011 novel by Ernest Klein. So brace yourself for some 80s nostalgia. Oh, yeah. And as is appropriate, uh, we're not recording this in person. We logged into a chat link session and we've got our haptic gloves on and... Uh, I, d- I didn't turn on my haptic crotch because I saw the, what happened in the movie. So uh, so at some point, I do want to talk about 80s nostalgia in general and how it, it seems to be um, on the rise. At the same time, peaking and there's a backlash against it. Backlash? What? No. Have you not heard of the yeah. backlash? I guess not. What about you, Colin? It was one of the major complaints I heard against the movie, that it was two <laughs> 80s. Yeah. I think the thing is that people went ahead and were really reductionistic about things that were popular, like Stranger Things, like Ready Player One, like It, mm. and saying that here's this one thing that is making it popular, and it's stupid that that's making it popular. And uh, I just think that's needlessly reductionistic, mm. and they should just look at the entire thing. Because I don't feel like, you know, Stranger Thing. I I think maybe right. it owes some of its success to 80s nostalgia, because it feels like movies we grew up with. It feels like books and that kind of stuff that we grew up with. But if the story wasn't good, then... Yeah, right. and... It, it predates a lot of the things they're comparing it to. It came out in 2011. There was no Stranger Things in 2011. Right. And it was only a novel that was 30-some-odd 30, 30 years old in 2011. Right, right. No, but I'm saying that something like It or Stranger Things, you know, they have that 80s nostalgia factor working for them, but that's not the only thing, right? Hmm. And I wasn't saying that the book was good, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're simply saying that accusing it of only be only being 80s nostalgia is too broad of a brush to paint it with. I think in general, the, the objecting to something that's nostalgic for the 80s because it's nostalgic for the 80s is stupid. So there there are uh, other you. valid complaints yeah. about the book and the movie uh, saying that it's that 80s nostalgia has gone too far. It just seems to me to be like uh oh, what is the thing? Old man yells at Yes, old man yells at cloud. With a wonderful picture of Abe Simpson. Simpson. Oh, it's like a newspaper clipping. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Anyhow, so back to the topic at hand. We're going to be talking about the book, which I think in this case, this is one of those rare ones where we have kind of all had the same experience, meaning we've all read the book previously and then read it this time and saw the movie. So I don't think we need to dwell over much on that history. Um, But I think what I do want to do is, after we discuss the story, is talk about our experiences with the book the first time, how it held up the second time, maybe what we expected the second time, then about the movie as well. So, who wants to tackle the story? Colin? (laughs) 
I'm nominating James because I'll talk too long. <laughs> you can- I nominate Colin because I won't talk enough. Yeah, you got to keep it simple though. <laughs> All right. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the mute button on Zencaster at 45 seconds. So, all right, you I'm ready? <laughs> Go ahead. So we're talking about a post-apocalyptic future where the Earth has been environmentally destroyed, and most people spend their time in a virtual world called the Oasis. And the creator of the Oasis dies, and he creates this big contest, saying that the person who solves the contest will take control of the entire Oasis. So naturally, the entire world starts looking for it. And after about five years, most people give up, aside from a very dedicated group of people called the Gunters. And one of the Gunters is our main character. And we're just going to call him Z, because that's what he calls himself. Sounds good. That was 35 seconds. you want me to keep going? (laughs) Uh, That's more or less – I mean, that's – from there, if, if you think about it, if you think about the actual story here, it's quite simple. It's it's like, you know, Luke Skywalker learns about the Force and, and goes into a battle against the Empire. It's very similar in broad strokes to a lot of different stories. The setup is really cool. Right. I do have one problem with uh, Colin's summary, though. What's that? Okay. He does not He does not call himself Z. He calls himself Percival. Parzival. Parzival. That's true. H calls yeah. him Z. Right. H calls him Z. <laughs> Jeez, Colin. And circle gets the square. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of being, being 80s meta. Right. Okay, so why don't we talk about our first experiences with the book? I don't know which one of us read it first. I can't remember, Colin, if I recommended it to you or if you recommended it to me or if James read it or – I don't know. Well, I know Seth recommended it to me. So. Okay. Yep. I think it was a, a running book. It probably was. It might have been, yeah. All right. Well, James, why don't you go first? What did you think of it the first time through? Uh, I had a hard time finishing it the first time through, actually. Really? Yeah. For what reason? I found it boring, I think, if I remember right. Interesting. Yeah. I found it kind of boring, sluggish, although I really enjoyed the 80s nostalgia factor of it all, but it wasn't enough to overcome the, oh, this book kind of hmm. feeling. Interesting. Yeah. I-, I could see that view. Okay. Yeah. Well, what, what about you, Colin? What, what was your first read like? Oh, I... I was in 80s geek heaven. <laughs> you know, I, I could have been the founder of the Oasis. I, I played Zork on a TRS-80. I played Dungeons and Dragons. I, I got tons You mean a Trash-80? Yeah, Trash-80. <laughs> yeah, got tons of the in-jokes. For my senior graduation night, I stayed up all night playing Joust on a machine. Really? Because they had free video games. Nice. Yes. Nice. <laughs> uh, just, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool. My first time reading it, I, I gave it like a 7 out of 10 on my, my scale. Um, I remember writing on Goodreads that I've definitely read better books than this, but I've never had quite so much fun reading a book. because they, Did you go back and read your Better Reads book or a post, I mean? My Goodreads post? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. But I don't remember oh, how okay. many stars I gave it out of five. Oh, okay. Um, but I have my little book database here, and I said such a fun read took me back to the 80s. So – it, the 80s nostalgia definitely worked on me that that first time. The story, like I said, is nothing particularly novel, huh? Novel, but the all that all those references, like Colin said, right? I played Zork. I didn't play D and D, so there were some of the references that went a little over my head. I think, uh, as we mentioned on on our Star Wars episode that we did a long time ago, I played uh, Knights of the Old Republic, and so a lot of the language of role playing games. That's when I learned it. And that was only, you know, oh, yeah. 10 years ago. Um, but that that did help with some of the references in this book. And there's a few of them that go over my head because I've, I've listened to a, another podcast talking about some of the references. And there's definitely ones I didn't get. But the ones I did get, I really liked, right? Like like Robotron. Right. 
That was such an awesome game. <laughs> so that was that was my first experience with it. And so James, what did you think of it the second time? I will say so. My second time around reading the book, I was much more engaged, and it went. It seemed to go a lot quicker for the read. I mean, I think I read it in like probably two days over the weekend. I tried to read it like off and on during the week during lunch, which didn't really give me enough time to get into the book. But once I get into the book, I pretty much read it in like a day in an afternoon. Okay. Yeah. So, no alcohol needed. Oh. I was pretty sure I was drinking. That's like default okay. state. <laughs> right. So going into reading it the second time, were you anticipating that this is going to be a slog again or were you looking I was kind of, it? yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Colin? What what were you thinking going into reading it again and and what was your experience? You and I had talked about your apprehensions about rereading the book a second time. Yeah. That I, I probably went into it determined to like it <laughs> and uh I really did like it reading it again. I mean, I, I've talked in the past about how I read The Martian three to four times per year. Right. I, I could easily see reading this book that often. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, we, we had a somewhat different experience, I will say. Yeah, I was apprehensive about this one. And part of it, I think, was actually from the movie trailer. And that's a terrible thing. I know you should never judge a book by its movie, right, Colin? I've got that shirt. Yeah. But I saw the trailer and I thought, this looks loud and obnoxious and... So maybe the book was that way. And and I started to think about it. And I, I'll admit, I saw some posts on social media from other people saying, oh, the book wasn't really that great, folks. <laughs> well, you, you had that and podcast you forwarded, you sent us to us, I think, right? Or not, maybe not. Yes. It was the so podcast, right? It was. Full disclosure, I have listened to 372 Pages Will Never Get Back is a podcast done by a couple guys from Rift Tracks. And they talk about the book. They go into it, you know, not not looking to hate it, but they do hate <laughs> it. They absolutely hate the book. So I wouldn't go that far. There's there's plenty in the book that I don't like. There's not plenty 372 to pages worth. <laughs> no, it's the book is 372 pages. I know, long, I know, so, I know. Yeah. I understand that. I was, I'm just, I was just, I'm saying, like, I, I, and I'm sure we'll come across this when you give when I give you a chance right. to talk again. <laughs> what I would say is <laughs> there there is enough to complain about in the book to fill like one podcast. Mm-hmm. They did like eight. And they did eight podcasts. They did eight episodes of the podcast, and then they did one all for on this. Yes. Oh my god! Where they read it, you know, fifty pages at a time. Wow. Maybe it was only six. Either way, that's it, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, and to me, it's just it wasn't fun anymore. There, there were there were valid points that they made, and when I say they made a valid point, any point that I came up with on my own before they mentioned it, that was a valid point. Everything else was crap. Of course. <laughs> no, I mean, they made some valid points, but then they just kept beating them. You know, they just, they just kept drubbing on those same points. And I thought, well, okay, you've, you've counselor, your objection is noted, you know, let's move on. Um, and I just felt like toward the end, it was just mean, it was just piling on and, and Jeez. I didn't like it. So I don't really recommend the podcast unless you hate the book, in which case it'll make you feel better um, for, for hating it. Um, but it kind of drove me more back into, you know what? I still had basically a good time reading it. And and that is that is the case. Did it make you more um, determined to have a good time reading it? I don't think it did. It's just at some point I thought I thought okay, you know, it's a valid point, but who cares? It's right. it's still basically readable. Yeah. Um, the nostalgia stuff didn't work on me as well, but it still mm-hmm. worked. And yeah, the story's got some problems. The writing is really bad. It when <laughs> if you really look at it, if you if you take away all the nostalgia and stuff, and you look mm-hmm. at the actual basic craft of writing, this is nowhere near in the same league as something like. Day of the Triffids, Dune, Fahrenheit 451. Frankenstein. The, 
Yeah, but there's plenty of other stuff. Oh. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> You're going to set Colin up. There's plenty of other stuff we've read that that is not great writing and is still entertaining. Right. Um, and there's movies we've watched that are not great movies but are still entertaining. So it's like, you know, there's there's room for guilty pleasures. And I feel like this book I would categorize under guilty pleasure at this point. And I can't imagine a circumstance under which I would actually read it again because I feel like the the effect of the book has already sort of worn off on me. I didn't enjoy it as much this time as I did last time, so I wouldn't go back to it again. So, gotcha. but that being said, I'm not just going to rip the book. So that's good, but but okay. I wish to object, and uh, I'll make the point, and then I'll I'll make the examples, and then you should you should come back and talk okay. about it. But this book is written in the first person by a kid who skips his school in order to go searching for the Holy Grail. Yes. And it's told in first person. There is not a third person narrator. He tells the story himself. I don't expect him to be a great writer of prose, um, like an educated scientist, uh, an educated scientist who turns himself into a monster and then blames all the murders he commits on a monster. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. A bunch of clones in a in a recent previous past <laughs> who are learning the fact that they're clones that they're going to die and their life has no right. meaning, or a whole bunch of these other people that are highly educated. He's an '80s geeky kid sure. writing a book, and I would not expect him to write great prose. Okay, granted, uh, to some extent, right? Uh, we don't know how old he is when he's narrating this. Really, it's some point in the future, so he is older than True. he is at the time of the writing. But that's just that's not how books work either, right? It's not written to be a seventeen-year-old kid. It's written with a character like that, but I don't think it's really written in the voice of a seventeen-year-old kid. I think it's written in the author's voice, and the author's voice is not terribly skilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, I mean, when I look at something like the the whole atheism screed that he goes on at the beginning of the book, uh, I'm like. This is the kind of person who thinks they're smart just because they're an atheist. That's that's that rant. It's like, hey, I think deeply about things because I don't believe in God. That that's like the entire logic. Not that there's anything wrong. But we with don't people being introspective and critical thinking atheists. Fine, more power to you. But that character is not one of those. We know that Ernest Klein's an atheist or not. We don't. But I mean, it seems like that. My reading of that is it's author editorial, and I could be wrong. You know, it's kind of like the uh, Aragon book, right? It was written by a 15-year-old, and you can tell it's written by a 15-year-old, and the character is 15 years old, and so that it sort of almost works, but it really doesn't either, because everything's written at the level and emotional understanding of a 15-year-old, and that's problematic. Sure. So what happens when a Hollywood screenwriter writes a book about a 17-year-old kid and it ends up sounding like a 17-year-old kid? Oh, is that Ernest Klein? He's a Hollywood screenwriter? I'm pretty sure he has written screenplays. Hmm. Oh. I don't know. So- when I, when I say that I feel like the book is poorly written, I look at some of the some of the classic things that you learn in English class, right? And I haven't had a writing class since like 1995. So <laughs> what do I know? But show, don't tell. That's a major thing, right? I feel like the book is a large exercise in telling. And there's a few times where he shows, and then immediately after that, he tells. And I wish I had written one of those down, but I, this is one of the notes I took. He shows and then tells. And sometimes then he tells, and he tells for three or four pages at a time. And it's really obnoxious. Um, and so one of the things, and I think, Colin, you and I um, talked about this one, and this is one that the 372 pages guys came up with as well. So it's a valid point um, that they made because <laughs> I came up okay. with it first. <laughs> at some point in this book, the word classic loses all meaning. Because it is used so many times. And when I say so many times, I mean it's used every 10 pages. 
36 times in the book I searched on the Kindle version I was reading. Ooh, um, okay. Vintage is used 18 times, which is one per 20 pages. And the fact that those numbers are, you know, that 18 is a factor of 36 makes me think it was deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, or it was a lack of creativity, right? You got, you got to come up with a different, different way of saying classic and vintage and old school. So, anywho. Uh, Colin thinks you're nitpicking. Oh, I definitely am. Um and 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 I don't, I don't mind that. And this is the kind of thing. Like I said, like I didn't notice most of this stuff the first time I read it. The second time I read it, I noticed things like these days most gunters referred to them as suckers, and then in parentheses because they sucked. Yeah, that's true. We we got that from context. You didn't you didn't need the parenthetical there, right? Or or a sentence like this that says, uh, oh, here, "Can I find it? Can I find it?" Okay, the problem with suckers, the problem with suckers is that we get that because we're geeks. If someone not from our clan tried to read that, they might not say, "Well, what is what is suxors?" which is how you would pronounce s u x o r s versus saying they suck with an x. Then I think it's him not knowing his audience. Eh, I think he made it more accessible to people by explaining it. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, that's that's a good point, but I don't think somebody who's not a geek is going to get anything out of the book. Oh, probably not. And and you know, part of my problem with that, right, is if you try to write to the person who is uninitiated, you're going to not please the people who are, right? And this book is an exercise in insider knowledge, right? He, right. he talks about Robotron. Yeah. He talks about the amazing movie Ladyhawk, which is awesome and James is stupid <laughs> um, for not liking it. Um, or even like uh, – so I'm going to gripe about the book for a little bit here, and then I'm going to come to the conclusion I still basically enjoyed it. So just be, <laughs> just keep that in mind. Um, well, you know, it's possible to not like all the book. Right, That's right. very excusable. Yeah, And I'll tell you when you're wrong, so just keep <laughs> okay, going. Okay, how about this one? So when he's going into the history of the Oasis, he spells out what Oasis means right at the beginning of describing the process, you know, or, or how it was created. Right. And then when it's created, you know, it says Halliday came up with this thing, Oasis, and he spells it out again. And- I didn't understand why you would do that twice. It was very strange to me. It was like eight pages apart that he showed what the acronym was. Hmm. So, or don't don't spell it out at all because ontological whatever simulation uh, is kind of a dumb acronym. It's 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 like uh, the first episode of Agents of Shield when somebody says, "Do you know what Shield stands for?" or "Do you know what Shield means?" It means it means somebody wanted the acronym to be Shield. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yes, because it's this. Oh, I can't. Hear, it's the strategic homeland I, intervention and enforcement, logistical enforcement and logistics division. <laughs> right there we go. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Just in case anybody wanted to know if we were nerds. Um, <laughs> I think I viewed that as for sort of a reinforcement of the kind of effort and technology behind it, I guess. That's kind of the impression I got through reading that. Because I, I remember specifically the, the chapter you're talking about, where he kind of went yeah. in the background of the Oasis and its creation. And mm-hmm. I think he was just trying to illustrate how much of a technological feat this was for them to create in the short amount of time that they did. And the fact yeah. that they took this highly technological uh, or um, I guess kind of futuristic advanced piece of technology and more or less open sourced it, Mm -hmm. which is like a very hard rebuttal against a lot of, well, against capitalism period. Right. Sure. Yeah. In the end, the book does kind of devolve into a classic us versus big business thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, big corporation as the bad guy is it's not exactly a creative bad guy at this yeah, point. It's not, but not it's original. completely <laughs> it's completely believable though, right? Yeah. And it's very eighties. Yeah. Um okay. I'm gonna stop complaining about the book. Um there, there's plenty of other gripes that I have about the writing, but 
like I said, I don't think it's good sport to to keep picking on it, um, because the fact is, I sure. I basically did enjoy it. Well, now you got to counter with what you liked about it. Okay, so I wrote down references that I like, that I liked, and this this falls in under my um, when when we've talked about remakes, and I can't remember if I've mentioned it on the podcast or I mentioned it on that column that I've written for LSG Media, um, where I like nods versus references, where a reference right. is name dropping, name dropping something and explaining it. So like when he's explaining, when he's like doing the zoom in enhance thing and he references Blade Runner, if he leaves it at that, then that's fine. But then he goes into this whole explanation of the Voight comp test. It, it was too much, right? He should have left it at a nod rather than making it more explicit as a reference. So I like something like, when he's doing the Pac-Man challenge, I think that's where he gets the extra life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It says that he got the glow. And this is a reference, well, a nod to The Last Dragon. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, The Last Dragon, which is an 80s yeah. martial arts movie that I loved. Um, and so I like that. He didn't explain it. He just, just in passing, mentioned it. And that worked for me. But a lot of the other stuff, or like somebody had uh, Rooney Eats It written on their notebook, or maybe on the side of a car. I can't remember where it was written, but that's a reference to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. A nod to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I keep right. saying reference, but I mean nod, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> now you're just confusing yourself. <laughs> I am just confusing myself. You're right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Other positive things that I wrote down. Or, you know, when you guys jump in with, with something you liked. About the book? Mm-hmm. I love that he got to be inside of War Games. Yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a, that a was cool a really cool idea. idea. Yeah. Where you get to, where the video game is completely immersive, and that seems like a very oasis kind of a thing to me. Yes, um, I, I know I've brought this up in the past, but if and if I could find it, I'll try. I'll try and find it and post a link to it. But sci-fi about fifteen or twenty years ago posted a link to a story about how video technology progressed to the point where you could drop other actors into movies, hmm. and they thought hmm. that. Uh, Tom Cruise's performance of the Shawshank Redemption was far better than what Timothy Robbins was ever capable of. <laughs> He's like you know? a foot shorter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to, you know, drop in and pilot an X-Wing down the, the canyon uh, on, on the Death Star mm-hmm. or, you know, run like Indiana Jones trying to get away from the rolling ball and swinging across the trenches and stuff. Yes. And that is a cool thing, definitely. And so one of the problems that the 372 pages guys had was how did this guy ever have the time to do everything that he says he did? Because there is a long Mm. list of movies that he watched multiple times. Family Ties. He watched every episode of Family Ties multiple times. And all the books that he read and the video games he played over and over and over again. And the comics books. I think the video games are, in a lot of ways, more, more of a commitment than than watching something. Because if you watch yeah. something through repetition, at least for me, I can I can come out of a movie with a lot of it memorized on one viewing. If if it's something that I've seen five or six times, I could probably do the uh, whatever it is, sync test or screen sync, what, whatever they called it in Ready Player One. I think I could do Lady Hawk, actually, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that sweet electronica soundtrack. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. I like the whole boy meets girl Boy loses girl to quest. Boy loses his way, and then uh, you know ends up saving the day and getting the girl. So what did you think of the fact that they, mm. you know, that they 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 both get through the copper gate, and then they stop hunting for a while and go on dates and things? I, th- I to me on the second read through, I thought there's no way that IOI doesn't win just because of the amount of time they took off. IOI is a bunch of losers. Yeah, it, it's it's stated in the book that they're losers. Right. 
Well, think about it. I mean, it took, took IOI five years and hints from other people just to get to the first key. Right. Why wouldn't it take him forever to get the second one? I, I just look at it and I'm like, brute force. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not like nah. I was rooting for them or anything. But yeah. um, when when you eventually find out how much information they had access to that the public didn't, mm-hmm. um, because he gets those files, right? And he, he finds this whole encyclopedia of stuff that they had that nobody else had. It just right. makes me kind of go, well, then how did you win? Yeah, but that's even more like compounded on the fact that they never even solved the last puzzle. The the, the the fact that three of them, they get to the third key. Mm-hmm. Or the third third gate. They, oh, that was, they never even figured that out. That was stupid. The, I so I don't <laughs> I don't buy the whole um, faith, hope, and charity thing that that, mm-hmm. that they wouldn't understand that they wouldn't immediately get that reference to the Bible if they had that large. Is that because they're atheists? Maybe it is. <laughs> but so was Wade, and he still got it. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe it was uh, somebody else who figured that one out. Right. Uh, you know, one thing about the story is that it reminds me a lot of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. In that hmm. uh, Willy Wonka wanted to hand off his factory to someone who would do it the way he wanted to do it, not the way they want to do it. And the, so the only way to do it right. was to find a child. And this is more of a, I don't know, of a modernization or a, in a, a more adult way, but only someone that truly understood the Oasis in the 80s, gosh, I can't remember his name. Wade? Halliday? Yeah, Halliday. Only someone that understood Halliday like Halliday versus trying to exploit right. the Oasis as a business would successfully complete the quest. Mm. Yeah. That was very, very apparent in the movie. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like that, yeah. that theme was definitely in the movie. And still, I mean, it, it was quite, I would say quite apparent in the book myself, uh, but more apparent in the movie. Well, I guess mm. we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I, you're right. I think, I think he did kind of tailor it all to be, solvable easier by someone who understood him and his intent more so than the evil corporation, but right. Genuine. Obviously geeks. it's possible for the evil corporation to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, Halliday had fallen in love with his partners, with someone that his partner eventually married mm-hmm. his partner in the business. And, uh, Wade's path follows that, sure. right? He falls in love with her. And loses track of what what was supposed to be important, which was the Oasis. And yet one of the lessons that Halliday wants to teach him is there are things more important than the Oasis. Right. I love how they end up in Oregon. And again, that's something else the movie (laughs) does tend to do better than the book. So one one other gripe that I do have about the book, and this will sound surprising, is I don't like the the world building in it. I don't feel like it's good enough. (laughs) Where I don't usually like world building, right? I like skillful world building that – builds out a world without being sloggy about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not sure that Ernest Klein would be capable of building it to the extent that I like without doing it in a really bad way. But I feel like there's, you mentioned in the, when you were giving the story, Colin, about it being post-apocalyptic in some way or, or dystopian, right? And I'm not sure that that really lines up with the rest of what's in the book, where there's this massive technology, massive, there's got to be, for this kind of computing, there's got to be electronic infrastructure, you know, power delivery, all that kind of stuff. And yet there's an energy crisis going on. And that to me, that just does not line up. It doesn't make sense. It needs more explanation for that to, to make any sense at all. You can have poverty without having an energy crisis. You can have poverty without having it be completely dystopian, but Mm -hmm. there are several times in the book and the 372 
pages guys mentioned this, and this is one of their not valid points because I didn't come up with it, um, but it is valid. Um, <laughs> that there's several times where he talks about how he, you know, being in Columbus or whatever, he'll have a lag-free experience, you know, in the Oasis. But there's never any hint of any lag that he experiences in the entire book, no matter where he was. So, so true. I mean, that that's almost a gamer nod. It where, is. You know, that's a big thing where you want a nice fat pipe with low latency and right. But yeah, it's never a cause for problem for him. Yeah, I mean, he still. He still beats the first challenge in the book, which was all about in, you know reflex time and everything. Yep. Kind of reading the book this time, I was I was thinking about some of the challenges in there and how they would work better in a film than than in a book. And so it, it is sort of one of my little bits of of Colin that that hangs about on one of my shoulders. Um, <laughs> that is a little disappointed that we didn't see any of those challenges in the movie, but we can get to that. Except adventure. Right. right. I, I'm talking about the, the like the major um like the the screen sync thing or playing Joust or, or some of those other things. You know, it's when he played Pac-Man, it's a little boring reading about somebody playing Pac-Man, I have to admit. Or or Tempest, right? Even though I love Tempest, man. <laughs> Such a great game. I think some of the challenges though would have been hard to translate to screen directly. Like the uh like finding the tomb, for instance, I guess. The like seeing a skull up on a hill or whatever. Yep. I could see how, I, I can I can picture that being done right where where he's using got his computer or whatever searching for patterns maybe so <laughs> for me the worst line in the book I put this one in bold because I read this one aloud to my wife because I thought <laughs> I am I missing something here because I I don't understand okay. how how this how this exists and I don't remember what the context is but he's I think it's when he gets the riddle or something for the second gate or the second key. And he says, but I continued to go over each line word by word until my brain began to feel like aquafresh toothpaste. <laughs> and I'm just. I've had that feeling. You, you, no, you know you haven't. <laughs> no, one, no one in the history of the world would describe that. If you took out aquafresh, see, that, that's the thing, right? This is the reference. Aquafresh is a brand that was popular when we were kids, right? right. It was the one with stripes. Yep. That's awesome. Yes. But nobody would say my brain feels like toothpaste any more than they'd say my brain feels like packing peanuts or. I believe hummus. toothpaste over packing peanuts. Okay. <laughs> but but you, I feel, like, feel it like it was mush. just. I don't know. It makes sense to me. Right. Like mush, that would work. But like Aquafresh toothpaste, that is a bridge too far for me. Yeah, but it's very—it's much more nostalgic than saying mush. Yes, it's nostalgic, but it's not descriptive. <laughs> Although maybe you could have said cream of cream of uh, was it cream of wheat instead? <laughs> there we go. That would work. <laughs> and it could be a, a reference. He should have said tasty wheat, and then it's a reference to the Matrix. So. True. Which is not from the 80s. Which is no. not from the 80s. And that's one of the things that the 372 pages guys pick on over and over is that there's a lot of references that are not from the 80s, even though it's very explicit that Halliday was an 80s freak. Right. I'm sorry, that's not a valid point because people who are nostalgia freaks for the 80s probably also, you know, somebody that grew up in the 80s, it's going to overlap by a few years into the 70s and into the 90s and maybe right. 10 or 20 years on both sides. It doesn't have to all be 80s all the time. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. Yeah. There's plenty yeah. of stuff to enjoy in the 70s and 90s and even 2000s that exactly. you still like because you're 80s nostalgia. So. Yeah. I mean, if you were a computer nerd that grew up and and had their formative years in the 80s, then mm -hmm. you were working you you were looking at, you know, computers and electronic devices in in the 70s that were precursors to, you know, Ataris and that kind of right. stuff. So that's what I thought was kind of one of the cool things about the movie is that they brought in a bunch of newer stuff. Yes. 
it, it makes sense to update some of the references. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in just in the, the last battle, they had like Halo soldiers running out there. and Right. <laughs> yep. Alongside Ninja Turtles and right. Battle yeah, Turtles. Yeah, yeah. And the Ninja Turtles were totally the newer ones, too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which is funny. Yeah. Like, oh, you should have got the old ones in there. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Well, what else about the book? What, what's anybody want to talk about? Nothing? No? No, I'm ready to move on to movie. So, yeah. Colin, you, you, you bought the book for, for your Nook? I did, and I paid full price okay. for it. What? I paid full price. I think I picked it up at Costco, um, and I'm going to donate it to the library. So, oh, wow. and somebody will enjoy it, and that's fine. I'm I'm not here to tell people they cannot enjoy this book. So, indeed. Okay, so uh, let's talk about movie. Unfortunately, we didn't get to all go together. The schedule didn't quite work out. Um, but you guys got to go together. That's right. Yes, and it was awesome. And I went and saw it uh, with my sister, and it was awesome, James. Yeah, it was awesome because Colin was there. Duh. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I will say that it does get an M rating of A. Emily really? enjoyed it. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. She she enjoyed all the uh, '80s nostalgia and the like action pack uh, bit of it. Um, the only downside was that she found it a bit predictable at times. Yes, I, I think that is a valid um, criticism, though. Mm-hmm. It you know the book is kind of by the numbers as well. I think the yeah. movie is even more so. Because it it tends movies tend to simplify, right? Right. Um, and so it cut out a lot of the bits and bobs, especially from the beginning, where mm-hmm. like you don't have any reference to him being in school at all. Yep. I, right. Yeah, so, they they seemed like it felt like they totally blew through the introduction of what the Oasis was, why it existed, and his character background. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and which they did I, it with voiceover, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I'm not sure how to get around it. Right. That, I, I totally thought about you when, when I saw when I was watching yeah. the movie, too, because of I, that. <laughs> I'm not sure that You've I could come up with a better me. way to do it. Yeah, that was so. kind of my problem, too. Is I, didn't, I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of the way they did it, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really think of a better way to do it at the time. Right. Well, in a first-person story, it makes some, some sense for them to do it. And I'm not universally opposed to, vo- opposed to voiceover, right? Because, like, Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I mean, in that movie, it really, really, really works. Yes, it does. But I can't explain yeah. to you why it does. It's very 80s to have a screen roll. That is true. Yeah, think oh, that would have been, been cool. a long screen roll. And so I think the voiceover <laughs> worked better. Yeah, no, screen roll is worse than voiceover. So, <laughs> except in Star Wars. for Star Wars, though. I will allow it for Star Wars. But, uh, and Spaceballs. So, did we all had a good time at the movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It is oh, yeah. a good movie. I, it, it does some things better than the book. Okay. It does some things uh, in a very unique way from the book that I really enjoyed. It's missing a lot of things from the book that I really want to see visually rather than just in my head. Okay. Well, why don't you, why don't you talk about some of those? Because for me, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, all the changes they made, I, I pretty much approve of. I liked, I liked the way it was streamlined. I liked the, the adaptation part of it. There were definitely things that I could have stood to see. And so maybe, um, Colin, you can tell me the ones that I missed that, that I should have gone, oh, that's, that is what I would have liked to have seen. Okay. Well, I can tell you one of the things that moved me the most because the one of the things the movie does better than the book is bring up this idea that it's important to spend time with people rather than screens. Yes. As we record this right? over Skype. <laughs> As we record this over Skype. <laughs> and I got to say, you know, our podcast is going pretty well. I was kind of worried about doing it this way because this doesn't always make our best conversations. It's true. But we're doing really well on this, so let's let's just keep going with it. Okay. Um, it's the content. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the end of the movie, <laughs> they decide that they're going to turn off the Oasis two days per week on Tuesdays and Saturdays. I think mm-hmm. Tuesdays right? and Thursdays. 
Yeah. Which I thought was actually a cool idea. <laughs> yeah, and unless people are going to school in it. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you don't have school on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wahoo. Yeah, I guess that, that right? I can get, get behind that. So I think that's something the book does better, or the movie does better than the book. But something the book did, which really moved me, was seeing – oh, gosh. I should have reviewed all the names first. Who is Holiday's partner? Og. Og and Morrow. Og. Og, yeah. The tribute to Og's wife at his estate in Oregon. Mm. Which way? Cool place to put a tribute and, a, and to live in Oregon, by the way. Agreed. Totally. That was awesome. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and we have direct access to the fiber backbone here. So you get great bandwidth and low lag yep. times. Woohoo. Much better than being in Idaho, unless you're near one of the labs. Anyway, uh, just the fact that he would take the time to build that to her and make that part of his life regularly. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see mm-hmm. that. And I wanted to see that part of his character in the book, or in the movie. You know, he gets choked up when he's talking about her, but that's that's kind of the extent yeah. of things. Yeah, the the Og character was significantly curtailed in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have liked more Og, less Irock. Oh, I loved Irock, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him being just just kind of a poser. Um I mean, he wasn't really a poser. Right? He's powerful, but but T.J. Miller, being the guy who voiced him, kind of made him sound like a stoner. Um, it's a totally poser. Yeah. <laughs> T.J. Miller is a poser. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, not him, yeah. but his characters, yeah. I guess. Well, no, he is too. So oh, yeah, you know, he probably. had this bright idea of calling in a threat to right. the uh, right. th- there was a bomb on an Amtrak train, <laughs> and I think he was on the train. Yep. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, moron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one thing that I really loved in the movie, the kind of the the best thing that they adapted was the loyalty department. Because in the book, they talk about it as the indenturement department, right? And this is, you know, your big corporation marketing department is never going to call it indenturement department. They're going to call it loyalty department. And I just thought that was brilliant right. because that that is how a corporation would, ap- would approach that. Right. I also... I liked some of the, and the, I'm stealing a page from Colin's book, right? I'm stealing some, or I, I liked the redemption story to some extent for the Sixers, right? They weren't all evil corporate drones. They were people who were working at a bad place. No. And <laughs> like the dude that played adventure. I thought that was hilarious. Well, yeah. And I like the fact that by the end, they're rooting for him, right? Um, w- right. Well, yeah, you could totally see like he was totally into it and having yeah. an awesome yeah, yeah, time yeah. too. But I like at the end when he's trying to stick the key into the gate, you know, but, but the, the van is crashing or something. Mm-hmm. And so, and they're all like putting body English <laughs> oh, trying yeah. to get him to, <laughs> uh, to put the key in there. Um, but, and even, even Sorrento at the end, he kind of smiles and goes, okay, this kid beat me and it's okay. Cause he could have popped him. Right. My, my one kind of gripe at the same time there is he walks through this trailer park, essentially holding a little pea shooter and nobody else pulls a gun on him. Mm-hmm. They can't afford guns. Sure, sure they can't. I, I don't think that Spielberg's going to put a gun positive message, you know, on their active self protection of any kind. Right. Um, but you'd think there would have at least been some pitchforks coming out, throwing knives. Yeah, machetes. I don't know, bringing pitchforks <laughs> to a knife to a gunfight. He's got fifteen yeah. rounds, and there were like fifteen hundred right. people. So exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. I understand people can be cowed by a gun, but I, I would have expected to see at least one sawed-off shotgun in that crowd. <laughs> Maybe part of this dystopia yeah. is runaway gun control, except for the corporations. <laughs> right. They sold all their guns to get uh, oh. haptic gloves. Oasis devices. Oh. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, they, they all have like the light gun from the old Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- 
I love the dancing scene inside of the nightclub. I love that too. It made me smile. Uh, particularly the part where it, yeah, where the CGI comes on, you know, it becomes really obvious that it's CGI because as she moves through the air, she has this red trail behind yeah. her. And you understand, this is this is something you could do in in a CGI world, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't have to be totally lifelike and realistic. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think they kind of embraced the uncanny valley by having that funny skin texture on yes. Parzival's skin. This is something I wanted to talk about because I was I was worried. You remember we talked about mm-hmm. it um, when we were playing disc golf that, that I was like, ah, I, I'm so tired of massively blue screened movies, right? But this one somehow in going so far past it came back around to being okay for me where where it was not in uncanny valley, but in that CGI immersive environment, it worked for me. And I didn't think it would. I really thought that that, that would annoy me, but it didn't. I thought it was kind of appropriate given yeah. the Oasis. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. It wasn't trying to reenact real life, like in the um, the Star Wars movie where they brought Moff Tarkin back to life and Princess Leia yes. back to life. Rogue One. Yeah. You knew you were supposed to be in a computer world, yes. and so then you can be amazed at the resolution and the things they can do, like mm-hmm. changing suits and changing hair and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of other yeah. things. Yeah, I thought. I thought so when I saw like the the trailer that showed that opening the race to, to for the first key. Right, I thought, oh, I'm I'm gonna hate this. I I loved that scene, and and yeah, it was it's cool. bizarre. I didn't I didn't think I would. I liked Bigfoot that was there. You know, that was mm-hmm. that was a cool reference. Um, I didn't get the Akira reference, so I was glad they called it out for me because I don't watch anime. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you have to watch Akira at least once. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't that kind of go against what you were griping about with the book, where he was blatantly calling out things that you shouldn't have had to? Oh, uh... yes. Yeah. All right. You got me. You got me. <laughs> Valid point. Um, <laughs> so that helped me, is what I'm saying. But right. there, there would there there's somebody who's like, why'd you have to call that out? I saw yeah, that on that's my that's true. Own, that's true. You know? So it makes them feel less special because they, yeah. Yep. Yep. So it worked for me. It, give it and take it away. <laughs> but here, here's a problem that I have with the movie is, and it's a problem that I have with the book too. So the problem with the book is the mystery is too mysterious, right? The, when I read a mystery book, I like to try to be solving it in my head. And there was no chance to do that in the book. He's doing no. all the work. He's telling no. you about the mystery that he solves. And we how don't have all the information. It. How could you possibly solve it? We couldn't the way it's written. That's what I'm saying. Right. So that being said, the mystery was legitimately difficult. Where in the movie, I feel like nobody thought to go backwards for five years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the well, no, they were trying. They were trying to beat the game. And it turns out you weren't supposed to play the game. Yeah. You were supposed to understand Halliday's life and get the clue of going backwards. You'd think at least one person's grandparent would have taken their haptic suit or something and hit the wrong key and gone backwards. What, what I'm saying is the tasks in the movie are simplified, drastically simplified. They don't. It doesn't seem like something that nobody could have solved before Wade came along. But mm. it's a minor gripe. I still, I still yeah. like basically the way they they do the tasks. One thing that I really love as well is the the analog where you have a book where. In the book, they consult Anorak's Almanac, right? Mm. Where you have a movie where they go to this place where you watch things and right. in the uh, archives. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was a good adaptation. I think what I liked about the challenges, at first I was kind of disappointed because I enjoyed the challenges in the book a lot more because they seemed mm-hmm. like more detailed and in-depth and, like you said, harder to solve. Yeah. Um, but I think I liked the fact that they just went ahead and created new challenges for the movie. 
just to kind of extend the, I don't know, extend the universe, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious and I'll put a, um, I'll put an article in the show notes. I I read it and now I've forgotten most of it. I can memorize things when I want to, um, but not everything (laughs) I read stays in. Um, But Colin, you and I talked about it, about, about kind of some of the process of the, of doing the adaptation where, where they had done an initial draft that was really close to the book. Yeah. And and it was written by Ernest Klein. Mm -hmm. And the, the movie studio said, no, it's too close to the book. We need to take it farther away, right. uh, which I totally do not get. Well, that's weird. Yeah. Um, and so, and then they made a second revision and then they got Spielberg on board and he said, I like a lot of this. We need to change a few things. And we absolutely have to have the dance scene. In it. <laughs> because that's the pivotal moment where every, uh, where Artemis kind of defines, you know, that, you know, yes, I love you, but it, to me, it's more important to solve the puzzle. Right. And in, we learn that Parzival is definitely a student of Holloway. He was willing to give up the quest just to be with her. You, you, you said Holloway, which is um, Steve Holloway was one of my guests on the Hugo's There podcast recently from, from MVP. So you got disc nice. golf on the brain. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Well, and then in the movie, they turned that into a crucial moment where he revealed his name. Right. Right. And then that's yeah. how IOI found him, which I thought was a nice a nice way to do that in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your sister was talking about this, you know, how she thought mm-hmm. it was plugging a hole in the book, but the book very clearly states that they bribed somebody at the school because he signed yes. up with his real name to get into the school in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was a legitimate plot hole necessarily, but my problem with that in the book is you can't at the same time say that IOI will do anything to win up to and including killing Daito by finding where his location is and also say, well, I signed up for indenturement to get inside. But they can't take my DNA. That would be illegal because if they sampled his DNA, then then they could have found him. They would have known he was there. And I'm like, the, okay, <laughs> yes, they can. They it will do whatever they like want. There wasn't really a DNA record in the first place, right? No, that's that was not the point he was making. He that was basically po- saying they won't violate HIPAA laws. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> that just violates, or excuse me, that strengthens my argument about it being a seventeen-year-old narrator. He had way too much confidence in what their limits were, even though they had just blown up and killed his family and all of his neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, so another thing uh, that, that reminds me, another thing I liked about the movie is it kind of gets him off the hook for the death of everybody in the stacks, where in the book, he more or less just calls their bluff. I, I was thinking it the other way around. <laughs> I thought it was stupid for him in the movie to run and try and get himself blown up in the stacks. Well, yeah, but... But that's right. He's our hero, right? We don't want him running away. He didn't run away in the book. He just called their bluff, and they weren't bluffing. Right. It's not, not that he ran away until after they blew him up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I should probably get out of here." Mm-hmm. In the book, yeah. it, it takes IOI from being these losers into people with serious amounts of power and the ability to use it in the real world mm-hmm. and inside the Oasis. Sure. Right. Uh, I like Ben Mendelsohn as as Sorrento. Um, I don't know what they did with his teeth, but uh, it was strange um, just because I've seen him. His teeth are just very different than they were in Rogue One and very different than they were in Bloodline on Netflix. And by the way, if anybody finds Bloodline, the show on Netflix, watch the first season and then stop watching. (laughs) There has rarely been a more precipitous fail of or fall (laughs) of a television show. Uh, the first season is excellent. Ben Mendelsohn is amazing in it. But then, I mean, it is terrible by the third season. So, so brutal. Wow. Yeah. We, 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 Elaine and I watched that one. We watched the second season. We're like, uh, okay. I mean, I guess. And then we started the third season and we, then we, we hate watched it the rest of the way. So, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. 
58 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Episode yeah. 27. <laughs> uh, my major gripe with the movie is there was no Lady Hawk shout out of any kind as far as I can tell. <laughs> That's your major gripe about the movie? Yes. I'm sad they wow. left out Sue Piderman and Leopardon. And Voltron. Hey, they had Gundam. And Voltron would have been rad. I liked, I liked that they had the Iron Giant in there instead. I thought that was awesome. The Iron Giant was pretty cool. What about the fact that the characters in the movie do not look like the characters in the book? Uh, this is a factor that is never a factor for me. <laughs> Adaptational attractiveness is a thing. I don't think you will ever find me. I mean, there's probably been some time in the past in my ignorant days when when I would have said, well, that character is supposed to be blonde, curly hair. Nope. It does not matter to me one bit. Okay, first of all, my voice doesn't work in that octave. <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> I, I was talking about my younger self. So that is okay. literally what I sounded like. Then I took voice lessons. <laughs> so Colin, you had a, you had a problem with at least one character's appearance. Yeah, I think they should have been you know pudgier with more acne. Oh yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's never going to happen. No. no. The fact is, the main character kid is not very good looking, at least as far as I can tell, and he's punching way above his weight with Artemis. <laughs> Which, you know, that is kind of a good nod back to the book, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Artemis is a well-known gunter who has her own right. vlog. But she doesn't have a Rubenesque figure, right? No, she doesn't. Now, they they kind of did – they stayed pretty faithful with H, right? And I wasn't sure that they would. Well, I think they got two-thirds of the things that were there. Why is that? H drives in the book. H drives around in a van across the eastern seaboard because her mother kicked her out because she was lesbian. She's actually right. driving an RV in the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. That's relatively so a, analogous to the movie. She's driving an old mail van or whatever. Yeah, but you don't ever know why. And and given today's environment, well, okay, yeah, they they didn't go into the whole backstory. They cut out a ton of character building out of the movie, though. They did. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of to be expected, really. Okay, counterpoint. Though here, sure the well, and this is a whole thing I wanted to talk about, right? The the whole shining thing, which this is a reference I don't really get because I haven't seen that movie since I was too young to watch it, and I did it anyway. Uh -huh. um, but when <laughs> when he comes in and there's the the lady coming out of the bathtub, this is H there, uh -huh. and she comes over and is being all, "Hey, come to me." This is not a man in the Gunter suit, right? This is a woman who says, huh, "I'm just going to go with it." So that is a hint that maybe she's gay. Sure. When you, when you later find out that she's uh a woman. To me, it's a hint that you have to play along with the game no matter what you individually want. Hmm. I, I thought it was, I'm into this. <laughs> that could have been. It could have been an odd to it. So basically, Colin, you're saying you wanted them fatter and pimplier. Yeah, I wanted them more canonical. Uh, other things. Any any notable Easter eggs that you noticed that you don't think anybody else noticed in the whole world? Oh my. Do either of you guys know what a mad ball is? Nope. Oh, yes. That was awesome. What is it? <laughs> yes. It was that little. That was the grenade that Artemis threw into the Godzilla cockpit at the end of the last battle. Oh, I thought that was a holy hand grenade. No, she used a mad ball. Okay. It was a, it was the little ball looked like a mummy, the green guy inside, and then she hmm. threw it in the cockpit and it spewed noxious gas before it blew up. Oh, okay. <laughs> as a, as a mad ball. It was okay. a whole you series. You would squeeze it, and like the eyeballs would pop out, and the tongues would yeah. come out, and yeah, yeah, yeah. All oh, kinds okay. of things would happen when you squeezed it. Yep. Yeah. I had I had I had that particular one that she threw in the mummy one. The exact um, one? When I was a kid. Yeah, I had the exact one when I was a kid. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. <laughs> that's why I thought it was so awesome. So one of the ones that I noticed was when they were on the doing the race in that first task, um, on the skyline, there were lots of buildings and, and references that way. And one that I noticed was Silver Cup, which I believe is a reference to Highlander, the original movie, because that's on top of the building where, where he meets with the Kurgan at the very end. 
Oh, oh right. Wow. Yeah. And the whole sign comes crumbling down. And Oh, yeah. So good. What do you guys think of um, if you had a haptic suit, full body immersion haptic suit, is it a bug or a feature that a crotch shot is translated into real life? <laughs> Uh, depends on who you're asking, really. Yeah. <laughs> the user of that suit probably says that's a bug. I really did like it, though. Um, I thought it was a little weird when Artemis did the whole slide under his legs thing in the in the club, and they showed that the haptic feedback worked there, and I'm like, that's a little disturbing. Um, but then it was kind of Chekhov's crotch, because then then later on she, <laughs> she nard Sorrento, and that was cool. Yes. Yeah. I would totally say it's a feature. I liked Because I liked you know the, there's uh, people in there that are using it for all kinds of reasons. Well, yes. Yeah. But we don't have to ask those questions. Right. Um, <laughs> I liked um, kind of talking about the Sorrento in, in the Sixers headquarters. I liked the way it showed when one of them got killed and their their whole thing went red. Mm-hmm. And so that then when they, cool. got, they were getting stepped on by Mechagodzilla or by the Iron Giant or, or whoever. Oh, or then yeah. when, the, uh, when the big explosion happened, it showed it just wiping no, across. That, when the cataclysm happened? Yes. Yeah, that was cool. That the whole things went like a wave of red across all of them. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yep, yep. I didn't mind too much that uh, Artemis and Parzival switch places as to who goes inside the Sixers. Yeah, uh, I, you know, factory. I thought it gave her more to do, and and yeah, and does. I like that. So. Yeah, and it definitely talks about. I guess it gives them more of a reason to bond together as a clan. Yes, definitely. I I kind of wish Daito had still died. Hmm. Seemed like such a nice kid. Why are you so he was mean? A nice kid. <laughs> you know, it, it just again it talks about how evil the Sixers are, and it it yeah. keeps that threat persistent throughout the whole story for them to always be there doing bad things, and that yeah. was a bad thing. Yeah, I feel like though, I mean, it would raise the stakes, but they had already blown up the stacks, right? They, they we already had that message. It would have reinforced it, but I get where you're coming from, and I, and I kind of agree. It reminds me of an old statement of James's that I had in. One of our supercuts, right? I'm agreeing with you. I'm just not going to say you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it was good, but maybe gratuitous. Sure. Right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else? We've been going a while, so. No? No, it's good. Oh. I'm looking what forward to the sequel. Yeah. You think there'll be a sequel? I think it was announced. Ready really? Player Two. So, you know, it was financially successful. It was not a an enormous smash hit, right? It got beat in its second weekend by A Quiet Place, which is a really good movie, by the way. Yes, it is. Okay, well, why don't we rank them then? James? Hmm. Uh, ask me last. Okay. I got to think about it. Colin, do you want to go, or do you want to reverse the order and make me go first? <laughs> I, I don't mind going. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go classic, just because, although there are things I think the movie does better, the book is the original, and there were some things that I wanted to see okay. in the movie that I didn't get to see. So, not a bad adaptation by any by any stretch, uh, not not the huge distance that I normally put between books and okay. movies, but I'm still going to go book versus movie. Okay, I will go movie book just because I feel like I don't have any interest in rereading the book again, and I would totally see the movie again. So, although once I've seen it twice, then I'll really know. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fair argument. Actually, I think I might have to go with Seth on that one. Then I was going to say book book reverse and then movie, but then I think I would rather go see the movie again or watch the movie again rather than read the book again. So. I'll go with it on the movie book. Alrighty. So, uh, the thing that we're doing next, I believe our plan is to do Fahrenheit 451 HBO films. Yes. Let me look up the release date on that. The film was planned to be released on May 19th, 2018. So, we'll have to record after that. 
Um, I'm not planning on rereading the book necessarily. I might maybe give the audiobook a, a re-listen, but uh, we're going to try and get Phil Nichols on here because every time we talk about Ray Bradbury in any form, we want to have him on. So that's the plan. Okay. Okay. And then uh, this summer, we're still mulling different options. We have gotten a, a couple of people saying that uh, the Twilight Zone uh, episodes would be awesome. So that may be something that we that we look at because that'd be easy to do, right? Because they're short. The twilight usually twilight Summer. Yes. Summer of Twilight Zone. Just to be clear, zone. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. No, we are yes, not doing that's. Twilight. New, 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 new. I would oh, be- but Seth. No. It's adapted no. science fiction. No, it's not. <laughs> it is. You just don't like it. Yes, that is true. Yeah, and not. I don't like it either. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. So th- I think that's a, that's what we're going to do. We, we will probably do Twilight Zone, but tune back to this, uh, this station for that. And we will see you in May for Fahrenheit 451. New movie. Right. Anything else? Any final thoughts? Nope. Already, I think it's time to sign off then, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because right. I just tried and uh, it didn't work. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, look us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash pavement podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pavement podcast. Shoot us an email, feedback at pavementpodcast.com, And uh, leave us a review someplace. Tell your friends. That'd be awesome. And until next time, we will leave you with uh, Oasis blessing may the road rise up to meet you and may you not get kicked in your haptic nads well spoke right it only took two tries i got my haptic lotion and kleenex (laughs) (laughs) i think think that one's uh, going in the blooper reel james (laughs) man you were jumping out of line (laughs) maybe (laughs) uh so is there a line? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he said his first <laughs> first experience. You said your first experience, and I say mine. Then James says his second one. Oh, okay, I'll say my first one was kind of awkward. We didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you never disappoint, James. Yeah, he was just trying to get all the positive comments of the book put in, and and now is going to right, yield the floor you to you, Seth. What did you think of it the second time? Much better than my first time. Really? I went for a lot longer. <laughs> oh, man. Or did it go a lot faster you, and smoother? I can't remember. Uh, you you <laughs> cannot stop a James. You can only hope to contain him. May the road rise up to meet you, and may you not get kicked in your haptic nab. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Take two. But you don't forget to go back and cut this out. <laughs> I won't forget to. Probably. Hey, we're allowed to be ignorant. It's the internet.